the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. We are back. The time is 614. I've got one line open on this Monday edition of Lifeline. one 367 5329 One line open. We are taking up the topic of Kanye West. Um trying to understand what might be the basic premise for why he is doing things the way he's doing them, whether or not he's operating out of a naivete, ignorance of um, <clears throat> what many of you have already stated is, you know, the basic uh, operational motive uh, of, of, the, of the new believer. You don't know a whole lot. Therefore, you do a lot of things that may be questionable. They may not even be right. Uh, but until you learn, uh, you will operate as one earlier caller had stated out of your past paradigms. And Kanye is indeed an artist and he owns that. And he has brought that all the way over into his profession, which is not a bad thing to do whatsoever. If he recognizes that his gift as an artist actually comes from God, whatever form he had employed it for, because he has explicitly said he did employ his gift of being an artist in a negative way for the devil. And he's now doing it for God as he uses it in his own terminology. So he knows the before and after distinction of a confession. So we accept that verbatim. Uh, and, and now that he's operating within a framework of targeting uh, men and women for Jesus Christ, as he would explicitly say himself, he's employing his artistic skill set to that end. And it's actually becoming a real challenge for a lot of people to look at an individual at, with as massive a platform as he has doing what he does. And they really don't have reference points on a theological level or an experiential level to be able to to really affirm him. But again, our sister Jenny had made mention of that uh, quite possibly being the case for the Apostle Paul. And then Richard said it as well. And without a doubt, that was the case for both John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus. We failed to remember that both of those men were condemned as heretics by the traditional church. And here he is the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, as Christ said. And Christ is the head of the true and living church, the body of believers um, um, who see Jesus for who he is and what he has done for us. And uh, if, in fact, Kanye is part of that framework, then Kanye is simply operating out of the same uh, uh, model and trajectory that many of the shining stars have in the past who have come from a notorious past into the kingdom to be used of the king for his glory. And we're not at all talking about not being discerning. If you guys have known my ministry for years, that's the last thing I am is not discerning. But I am making room for us to have a conversation about it to see what we can learn from it. So I'm going to go to the phone lines, but I want to make sure that I do share with you three or four or five things that I heard from him that for me begins to explain why he does what he does. As well as for me, it also 
makes me aware that he is not going to make a lot of friends within the realm of Christendom because they don't think like he thinks. I'm going to go to line number one and talk first with Teresa in San Francisco. Teresa, are you there? Teresa, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Great. Uh, What's your question, comment, or observation about uh, Juan Kanye West? Um, Well, I haven't really followed him. I happened to come across the postings through um, another follower that I follow, Marcus Rogers. Mm -hmm. Um, And he posts uh, several things of Kanye West. And um, one of them was him um, speaking at at a prison where other prisoners seem to be, you know, being touched by the Lord, you know, through the things he was uh, singing about and um, talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far from what I've seen from these postings, he, he seems really genuine mm-hmm. um, about really wanting to uh, follow the Lord and live, you know, right. However, one posting that I saw that was in a church, um, and I, I can't, say that it's Kanye's fault, um, but just from the music and um, the gospel that was going forth, it just seemed like um, the praises that was going forth was more of a worldly um, and fresh uh, flesh, um, not towards the spirit. Um, so I, I just like kind of pray that Kanye will get the right discipleship and under the right pastors and preachers that will truly lead him and influence him in a right way um, of how the Lord is really calling us to follow him. Because, um, like I said, what I saw on one uh, one one of the churches where he was speaking on God and singing, just the whole body language and the way people were dancing and praising, and I'm like, it seems more worldly and fleshly to me than um, praising and worshiping God. So I got just, it. I got it. I I, I think that yeah. uh, I'm sorry. Were you you weren't done yet? No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I um I think that if uh, if you've seen some of the clips that I have of him being in environments where you know there was a very sort of um uh, unclear line of distinction between what we would call normative Christian praise and a kind of hip hop hip hop orientation of um, Christian praise as he would bring it. Yes, that would be extremely uncomfortable for traditional believers. It would be uh, extremely uncomfortable for discerning believers. Uh, But that's where he is in his gradual introduction into an orientation into the Christian world. And so um, as as uncomfortable as a lot of that carnality and and uh, the overtures of a kind of fleshly presentation expression of uh, of a hip hop Christian uh, presentation is. Um, we we are hoping, like you said, that he uh, begins to develop a much more uh, mature way of presenting his art form of of hip hop as well as uh, proclamation that would become acceptable uh, to the true body of Christ at length, at least. And so I do appreciate your, your uh, graciousness with it. We'll just have to see, won't we? Yeah, and I'm praying his wife gets on board with him as well, because I also saw a clip where... Um, a talk show was uh, interviewing her about how she feel about her husband and people talking about him now that he's turned, you know, from the world and is following Christ. Um, and they were speaking on her getting baptized, but it was at a Catholic church. So 
I'm like, whoa, that kind of seems like it's unevenly yoked, and I hope she would get on board with him and follow him and his Christian walk so there's no confusion within the household as, you know, husband and wife. Sure. Uh, but I'm praying for him, and I hope, you know, he really gets under the right pastor's, preacher's doctrine to where he can really, you know, get spirit-filled and really know what it is and how it is to follow the, the Lord in a right way, because he's used to the entertainment that he's been around for so long that maybe he kind of don't know how to to really present how, you know, he... Or maybe he right doesn't way. care. Or maybe he doesn't well, care. Well, well, possibly. Right. So, so I'm, I'm going to... praying for him. No, true. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, because I want you guys to kind of get an idea of what I believe he is doing. Um, so we're praying for him to mature, praying for him to be certain ways, but I really do want to make sure I spend some time dialoguing with us about, uh, maybe never, ever seeing that element, never, ever seeing him do that because he's on a different trajectory. And we have to find a way to ask ourselves, is there a pattern of conduct, a calling that does not allow some certain persons to be brought all the way into our comfort zone of what a Christian looks like and, and yet can still be used of God. I do want to have that conversation. Thank you for the call. Let me see here. Let me go to line number two before we take a break. Nelson in uh, Redwood City. Nelson, what's your thoughts about Mr. Kanye? Yeah, I haven't heard a lot about it, but... Um yeah, I, I just feel that some of the caller that's critical could sound very tribal, like you have to believe in that dispensational thing, and um, you, you have to think exactly like them to be a Christian, and that that's a dangerous thing. And I wonder if they have the same discernment towards our president with evangelicals and reformed people as, you know, making him out to be, you know, you know, as um, Patrick, Pat Robertson said, that Trump is on the right hand of God. He actually said that. Sure. I agree. Um, I agree with you on both of those points. And that's kind of why we are having the conversation that sometimes when we uh, put forth our um, arguments, our assessments, they become real challenges for us to ask the question, do we operate out of the latitude of a biblical framework or are we operating out of the stricture of our own personal prisms and uh, restraints? Which um, that question is very germane when we talk about making an assessment of a person. I'll give you the last uh, comment before we take a break. Yeah, it's, it's just that, that we have these narratives and these lines of thinking that, and we're so proud, we're so arrogant that we can't be wrong about anything. I, I hope I, you know, I hope I um, can can see when I'm wrong. And you know, like I don't agree with you that um, God has no elect for the love for the no love for the elect. I think you do teach that. But I disagree. But you may convince me otherwise. That's exactly you know? right. And I'm looking forward to doing that. Right, right. <laughs> looking okay. forward, looking forward to demonstrating to you that there are categories in the expression of God's love that does not include everybody in an egalitarian fashion. Otherwise, God's love means absolutely nothing. If God loves every creature born into this world and going out of this world, and we know there will be billions and billions and billions of people who will perish under the wrath of God, as the Scripture says, many are called but few are chosen. They're ending up in hell, uh, having been loved by God. 
uh, means absolutely nothing. If love doesn't have the power to save us, what good is love? And particularly the love of an omnipotent God of whom he says it was his very love that actually saved me. So if a man is in hell and I go around, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you as a wonderful plan for your life. And I end up in glory. He ends up in hell based upon his good works. I end up in glory based upon God's grace. We are talking about two radically different kinds of love. And this is where I would uh, challenge the evangelical church about their over excessive and over generalization of that term, because you just is not in the Bible that way. The Bible doesn't monopolize the word love, 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 love all over the place like we evangelicals do in order to draw men to Christ. But I look forward to having that conversation with you because I think it's extremely problematic to front load the call of the gospel to everybody by saying God loves everybody. And the implication is he loves everybody equally. Christ died for everybody equally. And God is just kind of waiting for people to receive him and accept him. And if that's the case, then it all collapses. And you know that you're a smart enough man to know that it all collapses if we're waiting on men to affect the atonement. If we're waiting on men to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it all it all collapses. I got to take a break and then I'll come back. I one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight, two lines. Now, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And the time is six thirty two on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two uh, lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Two lines open. Um, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me kind of just share for those of you waiting with bated breath my assessment of some of the things that Kanye has said that I believe do play a role in his being as controversial as he is. Explicitly, he has stated that uh, he is the greatest artist of all time and that God made him that way. That was an explicit statement that he made at Joel Olstein's church in the presence of Joel Olstein. You can look that up yourself. That proposition there merits quite a bit of conversation and dialogue around how do you ever make an assessment of yourself like that unless you're speaking tongue in cheek or unless you actually believe something about yourself that you are willing for other people to laugh and ridicule and even say that there is a measure of delusion uh, operating in your thinking. I am the greatest artist that God has ever created. That's one uh, framework of sort of a moxie, uh, uh, very, very strong opinion of himself that, you know, from a biblical standpoint, we would be able to slay that quickly through scripture, right? That it doesn't have a scintilla of humility to it. But this is where uh, uh, the moxie is, is operating in in Kanye West. Secondly, uh, another area in which he's operating so he's very confident that God is using him, okay? But another area that he's operating in, and I'm going to challenge you on this uh, before I go to the phone lines, um, is that Kanye has assessed, as he listens to all kind of people telling him what he should not be doing, he has assessed that people operate out of two particular uh, psychosis. And I want you to hear them because I thought this was very insightful. This may bless you and help you. If you want to be honest with it, Kanye said people operate out of two psychosis, two emotions, one out of love and the other out of fear. And I know he's right, because as a pastor, I've been dealing with that 
with people all my ministry. When you hear a person whose conversation, whose perspective, whose trajectory, whose worldview, whose whose assessment of things is really based upon a foundation of fear, they're operating out of restraints. They're operating out of limitations. They're operating out of restrictions that do not allow for them to even remotely contemplate doing something that somebody else does and believing that it will be successful because they are operating out of fear. This was our last women's DOG. First John chapter four, verse 18 makes it very clear. Uh, Perfect love casts out fear for fear has torment. He that is walking in fear cannot be made perfect in love. Now, let me turn over the other leaf that he laid out in terms of how he has discerned people coming to him, telling him what he can and cannot do. This is the word love. He says, you either operate out of a principle of love or out of a principle of fear. And if you're walking in a principle of love, he didn't expand this. We talked about this in our men's study on Friday. Love being a revelation because you can't you can't understand love without a revelation of love being a foundation and love being a permission and love being an intentionality that basically seeks your highest good, which therefore then when one is operating out of love, you are operating out of the highest level of motivation. That motivation drives you into a place of confidence, and that confidence is that where you are walking in union with God, because that's what the word confideo means, to walk in union with God who approves of you, accepts you, and within a framework of a biblical concept of love, the difference between um, a non-biblical concept of love, which often people are intimating when they talk about God being emotionally desirous of you, a biblical concept of love means that God holds for you, the highest good so that you can bring forth the greatest fruit out of your calling and purpose for God, which means that God gives you a freedom to pursue him at the um, at the risk of other people not agreeing with you. But the outcome of walking in love and therefore being fearless about what you do because you are secure in your relationship with God means that you now can become what God wants you to become. Even if everybody else around you says we don't agree with you, we don't agree with what you're doing, we don't agree with what you're thinking. Please hear me here. The very fact that Kanye used that concept of walking in love versus walking in fear is the only way that God's people can ever do what God has called them to do in a world that doesn't know God, doesn't love God, doesn't care for God, including the religious world that often calls its name Christian. How on earth could John the Baptist do what John the Baptist did if he didn't believe in the favor of God's love given to him to call him to do things outside of the framework of tradition in the manner in which he did it. And he did it with great success. He walked in love because he was able to overcome the fear, not the fear in himself, but the fear in other people because they did not believe he was of God. How could the prophets of the old Testament do it? How could Moses do it? How could David do it? How could, uh, how could, um, uh, Naomi do it? How could Ruth do it? How could Rahab the harlot do it? How could Hannah, 
Hannah do it? How could JL do it? How could Rebecca do it? How could these persons do what they did apart from the grace of God that operated in a kind of love that motivated their faith to overcome all of the fears that everybody else, including professing Christians or professing Judaizers in their culture, inhibited them from even advancing in the will of God. So I want you to think about this now. If Kanye has taken up the concept of just believing God without any of the Christian restraints that he has to hear from other people because he just doesn't believe that they believe that God can do with him what he believes God's going to do with him. And he's already seen the pudding, the proof of the pudding in his own walk. He's already testified to the fact that he was warned years ago that if he took up the name of Jesus, that he would go broke, that people would not buy his product, that people would not listen to him. And he's he's laughing all the way to the bank right now as he is experiencing the proof of at least be believing God at a basic naive level, if we believe he's naive, to do what he's doing. So uh, here's another category that I want to put out before you. Uh, And that is, listen, he has explicitly stated that he wants to run for the presidency of the United States. All right. There you go again. Here we go. He is operating out of an assumption that he believes he's one of the greatest artists in the world. And therefore, he has the capacity to think uh, above and beyond and outside of the box. He believes that he's operating out of a love for God that allows him to do things that other people can't do. He recognizes they are limited by fear. And you and I know that's true for so many people. He's operating out of a trajectory of one day becoming president of the United States because he believes that he's the greatest artist in the world. And he believes that because he walks in the love of God, he can do things that God would approve of and accept of and uh, be a blessing to people all around the world as he believes he is now. And he may very well be. What say ye to this? First, in your own life, do you walk in a healthy love that allows you to be liberated from intrinsic fears, social free, uh, fears, um, relationship fears that inhibit your capacity to express your uh, calling and your giftedness and your identity in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, we struggle with that. So don't traject on Kanye a fear that is inhibiting you from bringing glory to God. When all he's doing is just putting his foot to the throttle, operating out of what he believes is the love of God and the freedom to do what he does. He is not an ignorant man. He is not a stupid man. He's not a dumb man. He has achieved all kinds of wealth because he's operated out of not believing what people have said about him. That's amazing, really, if you think it through. It's an astonishing concept to to buy into. He made a statement one time uh, as he was being interviewed, and I want to share this with you before I go to break. I'll deal with my last caller, Brandon, and we'll shut it down. He made a statement saying, in my opinion, a lot of what goes on in our world is a framework of looking at the present and the future from the past. He says, in his opinion, a lot of the problems with the present problems we have is we are stuck in history. He said, for instance, when you go to school, everything is being taught around history. He said, what about teaching future? Now, he got a little chuckle out of that, but he said, I'm serious about that. What about teaching future? Where are the teachers who have the ability to see the future? 
and communicate future realities. His intimation around that statement was quite insightful because what he was saying was to hold to a historic view only is to buy into the notion that nothing can change, nothing can modify, nothing can develop but what has already been. And when he uses that terminology, what he is uh, basically is saying is we're condemned to repeat the past because it's kind of a a uh, a philosophical, if you will, fatalism. I thought that was insightful. I want you to hear this word. Think about it. You can give me a call. We can chat about it whenever we talk again. What about teaching future? Does the Bible teach future? Does the Bible teach an eschatology? that frees us, liberates us, that has the ability to extricate us from the condemnation of the past? Does the Bible talk about a concept of a newness in Christ that is so potentially radical that an individual can go from the strictures and bondage and limitations of past traditions into a newness and venue of life heading forward, going forward, that allows him or her to bring out new paradigms, new realities, new frontiers that can be a blessing to all of God's creatures on planet Earth? Well, yes. We're going to see whether or not Kanye can take that principle and uh, multiply it and apply it at length to ultimately become president of the United States. Now, what if you were running for president and you know, and he wants to do it in the year uh, 2024. What if you're running for president and you know you have to build a following? You have to build a reputation. You have to begin to lay out some of your ideas with a massive enough following that once you put your name on the ticket for president of the United States, that, you know, you won't basically be a laughingstock. So stay with me for a moment. Um, Is it possible? I didn't say probable. Is it possible for Kanye West to legitimately run for the presidency of the United States and be a viable candidate given all of the present candidate possibilities that are out there. Is it possible? The answer is yes, of course it's possible. If he stays on this trajectory and continue to do things without making a major mistake and, and, you know, drowning in infamy. And as our last caller said, uh, pride that would destroy him. If he's being kept by God in order to be a conversation piece and a potential candidate, when 2024 comes, won't he have the money for it? Like Donald Trump. Won't he have the reputation for it as Donald Trump did? And maybe he's marshalling right now strategically enough of the wealthy people, of the wise people, of the prudent people in all camps to make his run for the presidency as an independent, a very viable choice. And if that's the case, can you see how all of these philosophical concepts that he's operating out of and all of these pragmatic uh, uh, exploits that he's engaging in can work towards that end for him? All right, I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'll close out our uh, topic with Brandon from uh, Brentwood. And uh, if you want to chime in, you can call me, one 367 We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, let's quickly go to line number three and talk with Brandon in Brentwood. Brandon, are you there? Hello, Pastor Jesse. How, How are, are you? you? Doing good, doing good. I was going to see, do you think we should have to be on Kanye? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, I know actually earlier today I was actually watching a video on Living Water. Oh, you know what's going on, man? I'm sorry. You're doing this fading in and out. You sound like you're on Mars. Can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. So I was watching this video on uh, Living Waters, and it was on Kanye West at uh, Joel Osteen's church, and I know he was saying, you know, I know a lot of people are bashing on uh, Joel Osteen for, you know, not having good doctrine, but, you know, he's just trying to show people how good God is. And, right. You know, to me, hearing that, I'm just like, wow, that's, you know, that's pretty rough, Coach, um, you know, because I think about the Old Testament, about, you know, the false prophets. Sure. You know, they say peace, peace, when there is no peace. And, Do you, is your you phone, know, you is your radio that. on? Yeah. Yeah, cut that off because I'm hearing myself. I don't like that. So I heard that uh, yeah, piece. I heard that piece. Um what what do you, yeah, I heard that and I'm glad you called. What what do you how do you how do you take that in? I mean, uh, you know, just for a minute, give me an idea of what what your range of knowledge is around Kanye first before we deal with that particular statement that he made. What's your range of knowledge about this? How long have you been listening to our topic on this? Um, well, I just jumped in halfway through, okay. um, okay. halfway through your show. Sure. So I, was, I already knew about Kanye before you even brought him up. So right. I've already heard the news I've been hearing lately on him. And, you sure. know, sure. from what I was hearing when he first came out, you know, it seemed optimistic, but you know how it usually is with the parable of the sower and the seeds. So I don't know what you mean. Now you're making, you're conflating uh, a, a biblical parable with Kanye West. And I want to make sure that we are using some, some, some critical thinking skills here, meaning, um, if you're using that parable in the sense that what let's wait and see, okay, that's fine. But I was asking you, do you have, uh, enough data and information about Kanye to make an assessment as to the motive behind why he used that, um, kind of defense for Joe Olstein? Um, for the situation in general for Kanye, um, I'm optimistic, but in the situation with Joel Osteen's church, um, I only, it was only a little clip, but you know, so I don't really have much. I, I mean, why, what do you think, what do you think, why do you think he even took up his, uh, cause in, uh, Joel Osteen's church? Why did he even go there? So I would have two ideas. The first mm-hmm. one would be either the fact he doesn't really know the dangers of false teachers as I even try to preach the gospel on my coworkers and you should listen to that kind of preaching sure. and the dangers of that. Sure. Or the second one is that he, that's a good connection to network with. So if he's able to connect with the Joel Osteen's audience, then that increases his support, you know, behind them, nevertheless, to whatever he's going to do. If I hear apparently trying to be a president too. Absolutely. So, Th- those are right. two, those are really two good, uh, two good assessments. Um, uh, Brandon, in my opinion, as I'm standing back and objectively looking at him and trying to, um, uh, discern the the choices that he's making, and, and I'm, I'm I'm you know I'm gathering more and more data uh, inadvertently as as time goes by, and he ends up being in the media, whether it's the conservative media or the liberal media. He he is on a trajectory of becoming um, you know an important uh, conversation piece uh, in the next three or four years. We, the assumption is that Trump will you know clear through this next election process, get four more years, and after Trump. Uh, then who's going to be next? Well, Kanye is ready to step up to the plate. If that is the case, one can see why if he's aspiring to a level of politics as high as the presidency, that he would not make the novice mistake of going around and offending everyone for whom he now is wanting to need their uh, vote, need their support and uh, need their backing when it comes to 
uh, running for president. And therefore, it would be a wily Fox move on his part to make sure that, uh, one, he got invited there by um, Joel Osteen. Okay, so he accepts the invitation. What he does not do is put on his theological lens or maybe his Calvinistic lens or doctrinal lens and and begins to shred Joel Osteen as a false prophet and and hang him up, you know, uh, before the son of humanity. And everybody gets to see Kanye's discernment on on what false doctrine and false teaching is. It's apparent that Kanye decides to forego assessing Joel Osteen's doctrinal positions that we most of us do not and embraces him as a person, as a friend, as someone that opens the door for him because he sees a larger and greater objective around uh, future support for which he then kind of simply says, you know, you guys are hitting on Joel Joel Osteen all all the time and all he's talking about is how good God is to him. Uh, There's a measure of truth in that. But the problem is, is there's a whole lot of stuff that Joe Osteen uh, is not saying that becomes problematic as well as the uh, the presuppositions of his word of faith position. And that is where Kanye would be uh, flawed. He would be guilty of supporting a heretic, guilty of supporting um an individual that we can explicitly affirm is a false prophet, but whether Kanye believes that himself or not is where I stated earlier that he's not operating out of your opinion or my opinion or others' opinions. He's operating on a premise of what he believes is his calling, and he chooses at this moment to accept Joel Osteen as his friend. Uh, and we can't do anything about that. That's his freedom of choice. Whether it uh, is wise or prudent, we can judge. But whether he's doing that, you know, on the basis of choosing between you and me and Joel Osteen, Brandon, he's chosen old Joel Osteen and not you and I. And we have to now live with what the impact of that uh, will be ultimately. So, um, yeah, man, that's that's how that goes. We got a couple minutes. If you're still on the line, did you have another question you wanted to pose? Yeah, so at, I'm at work. I'm, you know, just got to a new job, and I've been spreading the gospel lately. And I noticed I keep running into this um, usual topic that people would say, you know, oh, you're a Christian, oh, you believe in the Bible. Well, you know, that's white man's Bible, and, you know, they use that to oppress slavery. And when I would, you know, answer the full according to the folly, lest they be wise in their own eyes, they don't hear that, and they still go with what they say. And I'm like, that doesn't have any basis. So I'm seeing with my question to you is, where does all of this, why is this such a prevalent thing in this community of, you know, white Christianity and, you know, using the Bible to oppress slaves and stuff like that? Right. Why is that so prevalent? Right. It's, just, it's, it's, it's rooted in our culture. It's a great topic. If you were calling at the beginning of the show, this would take on so many callers, Brandon, and so many um various responses that it really does merit a conversation at the beginning of the show because we've only got one minute to go. But here's what I would state. First of all, the person making that statement, that proposition is false on its face. The Bible is not a white man's uh, religion. The Bible is Middle Eastern. The Bible is Eastern. The Bible is African. The Bible has its roots in uh, colored people's origins uh, versus uh, any kind of European um, uh, genetic, biological, historical uh, uh, connection. That's just factually wrong. Uh, and, and, and that's obvious on its face. So for them to make that statement, they are dealing with 
uh, false uh, historical uh, allegations about how the Bible was put together and why it was put together. One, uh, secondly, because we have a strong, strong uh, history of cultural uh, rebellion against the truth of God concerning the Imago Dei and the fact that we're all created in the image of God and that America has touted itself for 400 plus years to be a Christian nation, but somehow it has allowed the idolatry of a cultural uh, precedent to um, separate the sinful mandate of slavery from them believing in Jesus Christ as Lord. And some of that is just coming back to roost. We are not going to get away with uh, stalwarts of the faith who endorsed and believed in slavery uh, and not have to give an answer to how could that kind of what we would call cognitive dissonance operate in whole people groups for several hundreds of years. Well, it's coming back to bite us because the facts are coming out in that regard. And as Christians, you really want to be able to have a Christocentric, Bible-based, and historic fact answer to those questions to help allay some of these offenses. Thanks for the call. We can take this up at another time. Look forward to it. Until then, keep your eyes on Christ. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.